Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the Extra Innings Podcast powered by the Intermission Sports. I know it's been a while since we've done our last episode, but I am Calum Roberts, head of the baseball here, joined by Dalton, Lucas, and Evan. How's it going, guys? Love seeing the Yankees in last place. I'm happy. (laughs) Uh, Seeing the Yankees in last place also makes me happy. Yeah, I think there's no complaints here either. Yeah, no, I don't think any of us are going to complain that the Yankees are in last place. But we have a good episode for you guys here today, so let's just get right down into it. So we're going to start off because there are quite a few teams that are underperforming and overperforming. The one I'm going to talk about first, uh, Dalton, you're not going to like this one too much, but the Boston Red Sox, 14-9, 609 win percentage. I think they are so overperforming. I don't think they should be anywhere near the top of this AL East division. What do you guys think? Uh, I definitely agree. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to go to the, uh, go to the game uh, this past Sunday against the Mariners, great experience. Uh, they did not look good. They had a leadoff single by Keith Hernandez and walked like six times and didn't score any runs after that, after the first inning. Uh, and that was not a good win against a good team in the Mariners. Uh, ever since the Patriots Day game where they uh, unveiled the new jerseys, um, the Red Sox are five and six. Uh, not great considering coming right off a nine-game winning streak. They're still in, in the front of the, uh, of the AL East, uh, luckily because the Orioles, Rays, and the Yankees are trash. I'll leave the Blue Jays out of this one for you, for you Canadian fellows, but the Red Sox are definitely uh, overperforming, but they're not my pick. As Kalen said, there's lots of overperformers and underperformers. Yes, we're around 22 games in for most teams. It's really early. There's 140 more to go. But teams that are healthy like the Yankees aren't looking too great. The Red Sox are holding it down in first place right now, and it's theirs to lose for the long run. And I do agree with that. While the Red Sox are a team that I think is absolutely overperforming, I think one thing we do have to note is I think we may have been a little bit harsh on their lineup. I knew everybody knew that the lineup would have been the strong point going into the season regardless. But I think that right now they have what? Let me see. They have 119 runs scored in their 23 games play that is insane offensive production so far obviously we've seen guys like jd martinez seems to be reformed back to his old form maybe people didn't expect that at all i definitely did expect some kind of revival but this has been a fantastic start for him so everything like that kind of leads to the contributions of him being of the boston red sox being 14 and 9 right now do i think that's where they should be or where anybody expected them to be no i don't think that pitching is sustainable over the course of 162 but definitely, I think we should put a little bit more respect on that offense because they got some hitters in there. And there's a whole reason why they're actually are 14 and nine, regardless if they're overperforming or not. But I think one team we should also talk about are the Kansas City Royals sitting at 14 and seven. I don't think anybody thought that was going to happen. I didn't. And I think a little few pe- people might have been way too hard on the Royals going into the season. Uh, I definitely did see some people saying they were going to be around 70, 69, like that, that kind of range of wins. I thought they'd be a little better. I would give them maybe 76, 77 wins going into the season, but so far 14 and seven looks fantastic and they look really good. Uh, do I think that's going to sustain? I don't think so necessarily, but it's definitely something that has caught my eye. I don't know about you guys, what you guys think about the Royals or if you have another team that you guys think also should be. Yeah. Yeah, real yeah. quick, just want to. I was looking this up before the pod. The Dodgers, who have a win percentage of 652 at this point in the season, are have a 248.5 million dollar payroll. Hold on, let me just scroll all the way down to the Kansas City Royals with the 667 win percentage, and they're sitting at a 90.5 
million dollar payroll. That's just crazy to me. It's are we looking at a new reincarnation of Moneyball coming back here? Didn't Billy Bean play for the Royals in some some part of his career? I think. He, oh God, he, he I, might have. I, I think he might have. He might have. I'm not sure though. Um, but yeah, no. I also had the Royals as my overperformers as well. I expected the White Sox to run away with that division. They haven't. I mean, again, we're at the around 20 point mark in this 20 game mark in the season. It's too early to count any team out except for the Yankees. So they're done. This Royals team is not good. Even maybe their best player, Whit Merrifield, not off to a great start. Um, they're, they're getting a lot of depth production uh, from guys like, um, you know, I, I won't call Jorge Soler depth. depth. He's, he's a home run guy. But, yeah, their pitchings looked really good. Their bullpens held it down. I still think it's the White Sox division to win, however. Uh, yeah. So looking at my, um, overperform actually before, I mean, cause we were talking about the Red Sox earlier, Dalton, I'm curious, uh, what's your opinion on the whole, uh, cause you mentioned the Memorial day games, uh, there, I think, uh, what do you think of the Red Sox Boston marathon jerseys there? Cause personally, I am not a very big fan of them at all. And they are, they're just not Boston Red Sox to me. I don't know what you think. I, th- I think the cause they're doing it for is great, but their, their new jerseys don't, don't don't look right to me. What are your thoughts on them? Um, I thought that way at first, but they did it for like uh, I, it's called City Connections, and that blinding yellow and the powder blue are the marathon colors. I saw a few people like in the stadium wearing them, and I liked like how they looked. Like other than like seeing pictures, um, in in a sunny day game, it was a little rainy when I went, a little cloudy, so it, those colors popped a little bit more. Uh, in a sunny game, I don't know that that bright yellow really glares. I like them a lot. Obviously, they are the Boston Red Sox, and there is no red anywhere in that uniform. So I, that's why I think people were a little confused about that. I like the message. Um, obviously, the Boston Marathon is a historic part of Boston's you know legacy, and obviously the tragedy that happened a few years ago um, kind of weighs heavy still in the city of Boston. And I, I, I've been to a game. Uh, it was a few, I think it was probably two years after the marathon. And the, you could have heard a pin drop in that place when they were talking about, like, like uh, remembering the people who were lost and everything there. And it, I like how they're remembering that event with the jerseys. They're not red, but I like them. Yeah, I definitely would say that I don't know how I feel about the look of them. The yellow and blue, I mean, like Dalton said, it's a little bit offsetting since they are the Red Sox. But I think for me, I think it's more about the sentiment and how it's focusing all on the Boston Marathon. And like, it's almost saying like, no, it is saying that some things are just bigger than baseball and following our color uniform, our uniform colors. So I think that that was a big, important step. And I'm hoping to see more teams do like not reach out, but like do more things out of the way of like their usual colorway to try and like bring more attention to things that happened in the past that we really need to focus on. And overall about these jerseys, one thing that I really like is they're kind of paving the, they're kind of like following the same pathways you see with the N with the NBA and their concept of the city jerseys that they've had for the last few years. And you notice the things with some of the city jerseys is you might think, Oh, that has nothing to do with the colorways of the teams that they, that these that these jerseys are for. And people at first might have, I remember a lot of people had skepticism whether they liked it or not, or whether they even liked the idea. 
And now about four years into the concept, ever since they switched over to Nike, I think a lot of people love the concept of city jerseys. They love the amount of creativity that can be done with them. A lot of the representation, like you see the Brooklyn Nets doing theirs. I remember last year's their city jerseys were inspired by Biggie. This year they were inspired by Basquiat. So all kinds of citywide inspirations that these kind of jerseys could be used for and a lot of the concepts that could be based on. So I think that there's a lot of room for creativity and I kind of like the route that sports are going with in terms of just kind of breaking the same old traditional norms that we've seen for decades now of, you know, the same two jerseys, which is one home, one away or something like that. While that was cool for like the whole time for, I guess, the entire time of sports existence, I think it's nice that the artistic side of the sports realm is really starting to show a lot of creative minds are being pushed to implement their ideas in ways that maybe are seen outside of the box. But overall, I think it's fantastic for the game. And I think it's fantastic for the overall appeal to the sport to allow these kind of artistic minds to kind of flourish within the realm of jerseys. Because I think jerseys can say a lot about a team and also especially a city and fan base. I completely agree. I think that just the jerseys, like the fact that they're, the fact that they did it is amazing. I think that's really cool. I just, I think just as like Caleb was saying at the start, like it was a bit off-putting at first, just because like you're so used to the Boston Red Sox, you're expected red jerseys are expected in the classics. But I think it's going to take a bit for me just to get used to the colorway, but obviously the cause is the more important thing and what it, what it represents as a whole. But anyways, moving on to what, getting back onto topic anyways, about, um, overperforming teams. I think one team that you guys didn't mention, and they're not like doing outstanding right now, but they're at least doing better than everybody's expected is the uh, 13 and 10 Seattle Mariners. Like everybody expected them to be bottom of the division and they're not killing it right now. They're second place, but they're still, they're still beating out the Astros. I think we're ever in a bit of a shaky start to the season. They're just ahead of the angels. They're behind the A's who we'll talk about later. And I mean, they're, they were kind of expected to be battling Texas for the bottom of that division. And they're proven to be an above 500 team so far. I don't think they'll be able to keep it up, mind you. But I think it's just interesting to see that the future is definitely bright in Seattle. They got some good prospects there. And I think they got at least a decent team that's better than people expected to start the year because people thought this was just going to be another Seattle tanking kind of year, I think. So definitely overperforming right now, but I don't think they're going to be doing much damage throughout the season. It's just kind of a they're off to a, off to a good start and the future is bright in Seattle. They got some I good mean, young guys in that team. Really do. Oh, for sure. That, I mean, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Dalton. I would say, like, their only bad part is is their pitching. Um, obviously, I think I saw probably the, the fifth starter in that rotation, uh, Nick Marchivius. I don't even know what his name is. Uh, he threw 35 pitches in the first inning, got one out, walked like five guys in the Red Sox, brought in some runs. It was pretty fun. He did throw me and my girlfriend a ball, though, which is pretty cool of him. Um, yeah, but their bullpen's really bad. I think their best pitcher is Steckenrider. Um, if any of you guys know who he is, obviously Ken Giles is out, um, and he might help a little bit, but th- they had that series against the Dodgers. It was either two or three game series and they ended up taking two games from the Dodgers, which I don't think anyone saw coming. So, I mean, if you can, if you can have one series a year against the Dodgers, and win a majority of those games, like you're gonna look good. Yeah, I mean, it's also the, it's also it's also like just the first month of the season, so we can't really be counting in a whole lot of teams, counting out a whole lot of teams. But this is just like really who's off to a hot start. But let's be honest, Mariners, Red Sox, Rays, Pirates, even the Giants, 
they're probably not going to be able to keep this up and they're probably going to finish somewhere around middle of the division, even though they've had this really great start. Speaking of the giants though, like, obviously I agree that I don't think this is a very sustainable start 15 and eight tied for first place in the West with the Dodgers. I don't think even 22 games into the season, anybody thought the giants and Dodgers would be on par, especially with the kind of start the Dodgers had. I think they were 13 and two to start the season, but Overall, like you look at the Giants and you look at where a lot of that strong point is coming from. The pitching has really been outstanding. Like guys like Anthony Desclafani have been phenomenal so far. Johnny Cueto has been off to a great start. Aaron Sanchez, who I didn't know if I would hear about again. As a Jays fan, I think about that 2016 year and I, that's all I think about Aaron Sanchez. And he's already doing that and more so far this season. I don't think that's very sustainable. You know, who knows what kind of... Bless Aaron Sanchez. I remember I loved him as a J, but, you know, hopefully he doesn't have like another blister incident again with San Francisco. But if all goes well and he has a good season, who knows what this Giants team could do? I don't really believe in them that much. Only 22 games in, anything can happen. But to see all those kind of guys popping off, even Evan Longoria is off to a great start. Jake McGee, who I didn't know who was doing that good out of the bullpen as, I, as he was, I didn't figure that out until a couple of days ago when I was looking through fantasy for some pitchers to fill into my spot. And I saw Jake McGee. I saw his stats, and then I watched a bit of him this season, and he's been lights out. So, honestly, San Francisco, while I don't think they're really going to keep up what they're doing, I think it's very – they're a team that we should absolutely pay attention to over the course of the next few weeks and see how they fare. If it was 2014, that Giants team would be undefeated, and you might as well already give them the World Series championship. Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Aaron Sanchez, Johnny Cueto, uh, Jake McGee even. He was good with the Rockies back then still too. That team – like a bunch of old heads, you want to say, I mean, I know they're probably like mid late thirties, you know, old guys. Um, they look really good. Uh, obviously the NL is a tough place to play in the end of it. Cause pretty much everything goes through at Los Angeles there. But yeah, they've looked great. I would definitely consider them an, an overperformer as well, but I mean, don't discount what they're doing. Also would have Brandon Crawford in there in his prime for the, for a throwback giants team. He's, he's, he's getting up there in age now, but you definitely fit in on that uh, 2014 era giants team. That would be uh, competing uh, for a world series. Brandon belt as Brandon well. Belt? Yeah. Not Pence, to mention if they back. still had Madison Bumgarner back in 2014, man, this team would just be killer. Bumgarner official, uh, unofficial no, no last week too. Like, Oh, can we talk about that real that, quick? That's, a great, I, that's yes. a great debate. I hate that. If you're changing the game size from nine innings to seven innings for your double headers, and then you're saying that if I don't let a batter get a hit, that I don't get credit for a no hitter. I am so upset at that. And I don't even know why I'm that upset. It's just so brutal. Like if you're telling me the game is this long and I don't allow a hit for the game that you dictated the length of, and you're like, no, sorry, you're not getting credit for a no, no that you just threw. I'm going to be mad. What about you guys? They're saying that they, they pretty much just told Madison Bumgarner, like, hey, if this game was to go eight, eight nine innings, you're going to let up a hit. Like, like we're pretty much guaranteeing it. So we're might as well just not going to count this. I think maybe, yeah, put an asterisk next to it. Be like, oh, seven inning, no hitters. That's a whole different new list of guys to make because it's a new rule that like seems to be second round those seven inning double hitters. There's going to be more of them. So maybe there should be a category of these seven inning, no hitters counting. Let's not equate them to a nine inning, I guess. We'll, we'll take both sides. We'll compromise. But they're pretty much discounting a seven-inning no-hitter. And while I do understand 
understand it. It's not the same as a nine inning no hitter for obvious reasons. I also agree in the sense that it should be qualified as a no hitter simply for the sense that like, like Kaylin said, if you're going to be changing the rules, if you're going to be making it this way where all double header games have to be seven innings each, that is fine. But for a starter who didn't ask to be put in that day, maybe they did, but chances are they were just scheduled to pitch on that day for them to pitch their butt off and for them to go seven innings without any hits like Madison Bumgarner did and then not be credited for it the way they should be. I don't know what you want Madison Bumgarner to do. Did you want him to go ask for, to, for the game to be extended to nine innings so he could go finish his thing? Like that wasn't his fault. He just happened to be dealing on that day. And I think he should be credited the way it was deserved. It's not his fault that it was a double header that day. He was just scheduled to pitch on that day. Who knows if he got those extra two innings, maybe he would have joined Carlos Rodon. And who was the first one again? I already have bad memory. Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove. He's right. just, he walks into the dugout after his seven. He's like, yo, coach, let me start the first two innings of the next game, please. I want credit <laughs> for this no hitter. It's the overlapping no hitter, the two game no hitter. When's the last time that Madison Bumgarner threw seven innings? <laughs> like, it's incredible that he did that. Because, like, when's the last time he's thrown, like, more than four? Guy's been getting shelled for the last three years. I mean, he had that absolutely heinous. Here's an interesting situation, though. Hold on. I'm looking this up for you, Dalton. I'll be right, I'll be right back with the But even then, after the kind of season Madison Bumgarner had last year with the contract he was given by Arizona, it looked terrible. Um, everything looked like it was going to shambles for Arizona after giving him that contract because I don't even I think he, he was just a terrible pitcher last year. So far, didn't have a great start to start this season, and then he comes and does this. And we know what kind of guy Madison Gar- Bumgarner is capable of being at his best. So to see him kind of return to that peak form it's not a shocker it's definitely not out of what he it's definitely not on par with what he's been doing lately but we've seen Madison Bumgarner be like this before we know the kind of pitcher he could be on a on a prime night and for him like we said to just not be rewarded after pulling that off just because he happened to be pitching pitching on a no a a double header day I don't know I just don't think that's a very justifiable thing I think he deserves credit I mean it's hard out there to even go seven innings and you know just not allow a single hit. I know that in a traditional nine inning game, you wouldn't just stop a guy at seven innings and just say he has a no hitter. But in this case, what is he supposed to do about it? Like, like he said, like maybe he should just ask to be like Kalen said, maybe just ask for him to start the, the next, the first open a game next game around. So he could just finish off that no hitter and just qualify. Like, I don't know what else he's supposed to do, but unless, unless Rob Manfred wants to count that, if they just want to count their next start and just add two innings, then I don't know how you're supposed to do it, but. I guess all we can do is just tell the players to, I'm sorry, like if you got your no hitter in seven innings, we're just not going to count it. But I think something should definitely be done to recognize those accomplishments because it's not every day you even see a pitcher, like I said, go seven innings without any hits. So honestly, it's not his fault. And for going forward, I think the MLB should definitely look at how they should fix that up and whether or not they should fix it, because I think it's definitely worth fixing that and definitely giving credit to those pitchers. Okay, I got it here. So the last time Madison Bumgarner went seven innings in a game was September 24th of 2019. He went seven innings, six hits, four runs, gave up three home runs, two walks with nine strikeouts. And then they ended up losing eight to five in the 16th inning against the Rockies. That is rough. Oh, my gosh. So his first seven inning appearance since getting roughed by the Rockies. Well, at least he pitched a no hitter. Like, but that's the no thing. Hitter. He didn't. He didn't pitch a no hitter, I guess. He, 
didn't. I guess not. I mean, technically, Armando Galarraga didn't pitch a perfect game. If we remember that from back in 2010, I believe it was, with the blown worst call. In call. Yeah, that is the worst oh, call in the history of baseball. That's no by far, argument. By far. Here's an interesting so, stipulation, though, with the uh, extra innings, or uh, with the seven-inning no-hitter. Uh, no what happens if, say, the game is tied 0-0 going into the seventh, goes to extras, and then goes all the way to the ninth, Bumgarner pitches the ninth, gets the no-hitter, and then his team wins it in the bottom half? That's Does that count hit. as an official no-hitter? Yeah. So. That's, that, that's nine innings. I, I mean, logically, yes. But, like, when we're talking about Rob Manfred, can we really talk logically? I don't, no, think, we I don't can. think we can. I want a job in baseball, so I have no comment on this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> make a new category, Rob. I mean, I, I do too, but, like, what are the odds of Rob Manfred finding this and being like, yeah, we're blacklisting these four guys out of all of our teams. They're not allowed anywhere near our league. I brought it up. I'm already too – it's too late for me already. I brought it up. I'm done for. They'll yeah, find this in 20 years when you graduate from, university I'm, and then they'll say, sorry, Evan, you can't come into the <laughs> league. I mean, hey, I've been waiting two weeks for a background check on, on, on my apartment. So, I mean, I can only imagine how much work the MLB would do, you know? That's fair. Okay, how about we just segue right into our next topic here, guys. So we're going to do, since it is close to the end of the month and we haven't done a podcast since the opening day podcast, April 27th at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we're recording this. So we're going to do our AL Player of the Month and our NL Player of the Month. I'll start it off here. So I think the player most deserved of the AL player of the month has to be Shohei Otani. Dude's batting 300. He's slashing 300, 341, 675, seven home runs and 18 RBIs. And then he got his first win since 2018, I believe it was. And he allowed, he's allowed six hits, 3.29 ERA, 23 strikeouts, 1.30 average against and a 1.39 whip in 13 and two thirds innings. That, that's crazy. What do you guys think? Uh, Otani is definitely on my list as well. Uh, he's hitting very well, as you stated, uh, along with throwing a few gems in there. It's impressive seeing him come back after having uh, – was it Tommy John in 2018? Yeah, it was Tommy John. Yeah, he had Tommy John, and we kind of heard rumblings that he might never pitch again after that. Um, it's good to see him back in the bump, though, and hitting well as well. My pick for AL Player of the Month, I was I had Otani. Um, I, I would say Shane Bieber – but he's, you know, he's, he's been a little rough in his outings in, in Cleveland, not getting much run support. He's getting the, the Jacob DeGrom, uh, DeGrom treatment. So my pick is going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a Red Sox homer here and go J.D. Martinez uh, through this point so far. So we're on April 27th. Uh, he's batting 370 with seven home runs and 21 RBIs, which I believe is tied for first in the majors while the RBIs. I think he also has the highest on-base percentage of qualified players and possibly the highest slugging percentage of qualified hitters as well. Uh, he's having a great year. He's, he's slowed down a little bit. I think he had that three or four home run game against the Orioles, which might not count as much because it's the Orioles, but he's looked great since then. Uh, he's been ripping doubles as well, which is pretty characteristic of him. If, I mean, if, if it's not getting out, it's going to be up, up against the wall and he's legging it out. Um, well, so, so far I have not heard uh, the – from when we were even talking pre-show, I have not heard the man's name that truly deserves 
the player of the month for the AL. I mean, you, you mentioned J.D. Martinez, the Red Sox homer from Dalton there. I, I get that. He's had a pretty good start to the season. Uh, and, I, and I get Shohei Otani. He was actually my number two. He's been tearing it up on both sides of the ball. But realistically, I think we have to give it to the man, the myth, the legend, your man Mercedes so far this year. Currently hitting over 400, four home runs right now. He is tearing it up. An incredible story. He's a 28-year-old rookie. He's come out, tore the league up. Uh, he started out eight for eight for his career, which is ridiculous for anybody uh, coming into the league. And I mean, he even pitched an inning so far this year. He's had the full MLB experience in just a month of action. I think you got to give it to him so far, man. He has been, I mean, he's literally leading the league with a 429 batting average in 19 games played. That is absolutely ridiculous to start off. And I think for the NL, I don't know if we're talking NL yet, but I just, I think it's a pretty consensus bet that it's going to be Fernando Tatis, even battling injury. He's just been absolutely tearing it up, especially this past week with the Dodgers uh, or against the Dodgers rather. Uh, He had like five home runs in three games in that series. Like he has been absolutely tearing it up. And I think it's hard not to go with him for at least a player of the month kind of thing. But we're going to continue with our NL player of the month. Um, I have got to go with Ronald Lacuna Jr. Dude's been lighting it up. He's been playing phenomenal despite the Braves not doing as well as everybody thought they would. He's still slashing a 361, 460, 764, which is absolutely insane with seven home runs and 16 RBIs. Who do you guys have else in the NL? I know, Evan, you said Fernando Tatis Jr., the new, newest $300 million man. Uh, I'm going to be boring and go Jacob DeGrom. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, so far this season, uh, not even just like talking about pitching stats right away, he has more RBIs than earned runs right now. Uh, which is pretty amazing. That's balling. He, he's kind of just said, screw it in the, his last game. He got no run support until his second at bat, and he drove in a run on an opposite field single, um, which gave him the lead. You know, if Jacob DeGrom has a lead, he's not he's not losing. He's not blowing it. So far, um, he has 29 innings pitch and 50 strikeouts. No big deal. Also hit a career high with 15 strikeouts in his last game. Last two before that, 14 and 14, no big deal again. I mean, the guy looks great. Yeah, again, one earned run, and he's he's he has allowed 13 hits, but again, only one earned run coming from a Jazz Chisholm home run, who's been lighting it up for the Marlins as well. Jacob DeGrom is my player of the month. There's a lot of good pitching so far this year, um, and I'm sure we're going to hear DeGrom, Shane Bieber, those guys for the rest of the season. So for NL, I don't know if this was mentioned while I was fixing my stuff, but I'm going to go with Corbin Burns. And I know a lot of people knew who he was. A lot of people kind of gave him the respect he deserved last year, but I think a lot of people were overlooking him going into the season. When you think of the Milwaukee Brewers pitching staff, you think about whether it be the bullpen or the rotation guys, you think about guys like Brandon Woodruff, you think about guys like Josh Hader, even Devin Williams after the kind of year he had last year. And I think a lot of people really expected Corbin Burns to make a lot of noise. He was really good last year. I don't think anybody expected this. I definitely didn't expect this. I mean, he's got 49 strikeouts so far, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from what I saw on a whim on one of the MLB posts from earlier this morning after the performance last night. I mean, he has just been balling out. He has been striking guys out. He hasn't been letting a lot of guys on base. He has been flying through hitters. It has been insane to watch him play. And to me, I'm like, for me, I think Jacob Zagram is the best pitcher in baseball still. And I think this year is just blown away. But who just, 
I don't know. I think a lot of people really aren't giving him enough credit. I know the MLB has been posting him more. I know people have been talking about him, but honestly, like Brent Corbin Burns also been doing me a big favor on fantasy. He's been absolutely fantastic. Great pickup for anybody. Uh, I was very fortunate to have him on. I didn't, he, I got him like maybe fourth, fifth, sixth round. He's been a top three pick for me. He's just been fantastic. And beyond fantasy, even a real baseball. I mean, he's been doing great for the Brewers who have had really good pitching so far. They've, allowed some of the fewest runs so far in the league and definitely a lot to think about that is Corbin Burns so if he keeps this up watch out for Milwaukee to win the central didn't he have a, a record MLB record like 40 straight strikeouts before he walked anyone mm-hmm. yeah that, that's crazy that's incredible and, and he's 49 and 21 in a third inning right now I don't even think I could strike out one person before I walk somebody <laughs> right now my arms are I couldn't even do that in road to the show years I would accidentally hit someone in the head before I strike someone out. Like my ball would just go flying, let alone 40 without walking anybody. Like we talk about Garrett Cole. I, I remember I brought it up before the we started recording about how he has 50 strikeouts and only three walks. Talk about a guy who's gone through 40 strikeouts with zero walks. That is just all. 40, that's about 49 the same with zero walks. 49 now with zero, zero walks. Correct. Like just insane stuff from Corbin Burns. Definitely a Cy Young candidate so far. Might might even give it to him. I personally would give it to DeGrom. But if you gave it to Corbin Burns, I don't think anybody should be mad. He is just putting up monster numbers. No, if he can keep this up, then yeah, 100%. He's, he's thrown 147 strikes before he got four balls in one single at-bat or hit somebody with one pitch. That is, that is so crazy. Like... I know that we're probably not going to have many non-baseball fans listening to this, but if you are a non-baseball fan, it is hard to strike out one major league batter, let alone 49 and not walk any. So yeah. Speaking of incredible performances, the Oakland athletics start their seasons season one and seven, then they go on a 13 game win streak. Is it just the new norm to see big winning streaks in Oakland? I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't put my money on it. It happened every time. I actually consider doing them. I know bold take as an overperformer. Uh, you know, they got Matt Olson. They got Matt Chapman. They got Ramon Laureano. Uh, their pitching staff is kind of weak. I don't know if Chris Bassett or Sean Manaya is their ace, but like either of those guys aren't an ace anywhere else, maybe except for like Baltimore. I'm an ace in Baltimore. Come on. <laughs> I'm like the like long reliever in Baltimore. Like I'm, 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 I'm trusted for four innings a game. Um, but the, obviously 13 wins, they're getting it done. They get demolished by the Orioles in, in Baltimore the other day, eight to one to lose the streak. I think they lost again, like five to three yesterday. Um, maybe the wheels are falling off a little bit, going on a little bit of a downward spiral after winning 13 in a row. But I mean, anything looks bad after you win 13 games and then lose. So, I mean, they're still a great team. And weren't they like 0 and 4 or something like that before that? Before so they that started first? 1 and 7. They were a, I think they're a fen- phenomenally interesting team to look at. 1 and 7. And I remember going into the season, I personally had them as my prediction to win the AL West. I know a lot of people disagreed with it. A lot of people are going with the Astros. A lot of people are going with the Angels. I personally didn't believe in either enough, in either of those teams enough to put them over the A's. I think the A's over the last three years, despite kind of the, postseason shortcomings they've experienced whether it be losing in the wild card game to new york in 2018 and then again in tampa bay and then not even being able to win more than one game against what looked like to be a weaker astros team last year in the shortened season 
regardless of all that, I just trust them enough to hold it down over the course of the regular season. Hitting hitting wise, obviously you guys have you have guys like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman. And I think one of the most untalked about and I don't understand I mean, I guess I understand why because he's not much of a flashy player, but I think a guy who deserves a lot more recognition on that team is Mark Hanna. Uh, he has been great. His on-base abilities have been fantastic over the last couple of years, and I don't think t- people talk about it enough. He's been a damn good, solid, like, center f- left fielder out in the outfield. I mean, he's been doing a lot of good things defensively and offensively for the Oakland A's, and I just think they have a lot of multiple contributions. Not a lot of star power over there other than Matt Chapman. I mean, I don't I don't know if you'd necessarily consider Marcana a star. I could consider him a fringe, like, star player, maybe an all-star. I definitely see him as an all-star caliber player. But And then in pitching-wise, not an ace, like Dalton said, not an ace at all. But I, don't, I wouldn't consider Manaya, Bassett, or Lazardo, any of those guys. It's not even Frankie Montes. None of those are aces. But I think the combined contributions over them can carry them to enough wins to an AL West title when the season comes over. But definitely a very shocking thing to see them win 13 in a row. That was just insane. And who knows what they can do. But... It happened about 20 years ago, so maybe they can go for 20 again. Who knows what's, what's in store for this season. I think it's going to be a weird season. We're going to see some weird stuff all across this season. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. That, it's going to be a weird season. That Oakland outfield was so good. With what uh, right. you probably put uh, Cannon left, Loriano, who's maybe the most underrated cent- like defensive center fielder in the MLB. Um, and I think they have Chad Pinder out on the right, if I'm not wrong i mean they have three really good defensive guys out there you guys all remember that play where loriana like threw like a 300 foot throw to home after an over the shoulder catch in center field and gunned the guy out of home i think it was about two years ago they're good um obviously you're you're kind of you know betting a lot to kind of count the the astros out because they still have a good roster even after losing george springer they they still got guys to do it uh, their starting pitch doesn't look great, but I mean, in that division, you don't really have money starting pitchers who are kind of getting it done there. So I think if they can take those divisional games and get it done, they're a real force we reckon with in, in the West. And I think you mentioned it earlier, Dalton, um, uh, your hot take, the fact that you don't think the A's are for real, despite their big winning streak to start the season. Um, they have a decent team. I'll give them that, but I don't, I, I think I'm going to agree with you on that. I don't think they are going to win the division. Uh, just because I think there is a lot more to prove with Houston, and I think there's a lot more to prove with the Angels too. I think if the Angels get a like another starting pitcher or two, I think they are looking at a really really solid year. Mike Trout's off to another great start. Rendon has been a bit shaky here and there. I think he was injured for part of it, um, but Otani has been outstanding for them. I think if they can get another starter uh, and maybe a bit a bit more bullpen help, I think they they could have a really good chance of pushing for that division, and it's going to be a close one. Uh, and I think, like you mentioned as well, I think the A's could also use, like the entire division could use really another starting pitcher or two to really solidify themselves to uh, take control of that division. Even the Astros uh, could use maybe one one more starter to solidify their rotation just because of injuries, Verlander and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if any team makes a move to really push for this division because it is, despite the A's getting off to such a hot start in that 13-game win streak, it is going to be tight. It's going to be a tight race for the top of that division, I think, as the year it, goes on. It's 100% going to be. I think this is going to be one of the most competitive divisions in all of baseball for the top spot. Not trying to discredit the Oakland Athletics 13-game winning streak, but let's just take a look at the teams they beat. So 
Starting on the 9th of April, they took two games against Houston. Then they went down to Arizona, took two games against Arizona. Then they played a four-game set against the AL Central worst Detroit, followed by three games, what was supposed to be four, but one got postponed, three games against Minnesota, and then they got two against Baltimore, and then dropped the one 8-1 on the 25th to lose their 13-game win streak. Is it real? Can we really take that winning streak with a whole lot of credit just due to the teams that they beat? I mean, four games against Detroit. You got a couple against Arizona, who's not the best team. Houston hasn't been doing that well this year. Baltimore is the AL East war or second worst. Sorry, the Yankees. Thank you. The Yankees are at the bottom of the league at the bottom of the division. That makes me very happy. But can we really take this winning streak with more than a grain of salt? Personally. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think any streak at, a, at any extensive streak, whether it be a losing streak or a winning streak, should necessarily be a cry for panic or a cry for joy. I mean, it's fun to watch, but we all know that some of these streaks don't really matter. I think some anecdotal streaks I can remember the 2013 Jays, if you remember them winning 11 games in a row in the middle of the year. Did that team turn to do any good? No. As as hyped up as that team was, that team was not good at all on 74 games. But we had that fun little win streak that got everyone in Toronto excited for about two weeks. And then reality came slapping them right in the face. I do think, obviously, this Oakland team is better than the Jays for that year. I think I would be completely ignorant to say otherwise. But I think, in general, streaks are fun to look at in the regular season. But especially if it's not happening in September or in the latest stretch as we close into the playoffs, I don't really know how much value we could hold streaks other than they're cool to see or maybe not so cool to see if it's not such a good streak and maybe you're on the cheering for a team that's on the end of a losing streak. I mean, also the Dodgers losing 11 in a row in 2017. Obviously, everybody was confused because that team was like 90 and 30 or something at that time. But they ended up going all the way to game seven of the World Series. And who knows where that goes if the obvious Houston cheating scandal doesn't take place. So honestly, streaks aren't really the end all for any season regardless of it's for good or bad I don't think it's necessarily a sign of much but it's definitely fascinating to see Oakland just kind of write off such a poor start and then kind of bounce back to push themselves in the position they are now 100%. well even in baseball too like baseball especially streaks are mean mean less than they do in other sports because other sports only have 82 game seasons if you go on a 10 game win streak that's one eighth of your season right there that's that that'll push you uh, a lot farther than a 10 game win streak in an 162 game MLB season, right? Like even last year with the 60 game season, that 10 game, a 10 game win streak means one sixth of the season is now wins confirmed. That is, that does a lot more for you than a 10 game win streak in an 162 game season. So while it is impressive, you do got to give them credit. Uh, at the same time, it's not overly impressive. There's still a lot of baseball to go. They could, they could very well, I mean, they're not going to, but they could lose the rest of their games and then that streak doesn't matter, right? Like it, it, it's it's really a hit or, it's hit or miss, pun not intended, kind of intended um, for what, whether streaks matter. And I don't think, or sorry, it's hit or miss on whether a streak will play an important factor in a season. And I think for the A's case, it'll be, it'll be it's at least a good sign to start, start off the year, but I don't think it's going to be groundbreaking for them going forward. Did that Nationals team ever have a huge streak when they won in 2019? I don't know about a streak, but they were definitely – they were last place. I know that. I don't know if they yeah, went they on a big streak. East, and then 
won the World Series. So, I mean, I don't think I don't. Yeah. I remember, I remember going on like on like a ten game, twelve game winning streak. So they still got it done. I don't know, but regardless, you can thank that entire championship for that Nationals team on the Brewers right fielder after absolutely botching that ground ball that would have basically just contained the inning. That like give that guy a ring. God, he he should have a ring. You know what? It's 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 funny you say that because I vividly remember watching that and saying, "Oh God, everyone in Milwaukee's gonna ask for this guy and he- guy's head on a plate now." And then he gets traded to San Diego that same off season, and I thought that was kind of funny because I'm like, "Oh," and then now he's he's doing pretty well for San Diego. So I think he's a guy that honestly the Brewers could use right now. <laughs> and I don't think they have a bad outfield. I mean, having Yelich when he's healthy, having Lorenzo Cain is fine. But I think if they still had Trent Grisham, that would make the Brewers a lot better. But that Nationals team definitely did capitalize off that. I mean, they don't win the World Series if he doesn't. Oh, maybe not. Maybe well, no, does, because but... I think he botched that and the winning run scored. Yeah, Correct me if I'm wrong, scored. but like. Yeah, it did allow the, the, other, the third run to score. I do remember that. And I remember Soto going around just at it's, second base. He got it's tagged so out. funny to think like baseball players, like you make one mistake and that's all you're known for for the rest of your career. Like, Oh, well, I can't remember the guy's name, but he goes up to catch the home run, or catch a fly ball, bounces off his head and pops out for a home run. Why is his name blanking on me right now? Can you guys help me out? Was it Kinsenko? Yes. Yeah, Kinsenko. He just goes he to catch me it. on Twitter. Really? Yeah. I don't that's know why kinda, he does. That's kind of cool. But yeah, like <laughs> one little thing, one little mistake or one big hit, and that's all you're known for for your entire career. Like Buster Posey, Buster Posey rule. That's the big thing he's known for. Uh, Chase Utley, the Chase Utley rule. Like, it's crazy. One thing in your entire career, no matter how long it is, that's how you're defined for the rest of your life. Okay. So we talked about – sorry, go ahead, Lucas. No, I was going to think, what was the guy's name of the – I was just trying to think. Dalton would definitely help. The guy on the Red Sox from 1986. Bill Bill Buckner, Buckner. yes. Bill Buckner. Don't, don't go, hey, 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 no. <laughs> this is uh, before our time. I'll mention it. Right <laughs> <laughs> you guys have won, what, four World Series titles since? I think it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Bill Buckner, man, that's that's the screaming epitome when I think of exactly what Kalen was saying in terms of one mistake, and that's what you're known for for the rest of your career. Good for the Red Sox for covering that up over the – making up for that over the past 30 years, but – Definitely interesting. <laughs> Definitely made me think of that one, Caleb. E- even the fans, that one Cubs fan that made that mistake in the stands that Steve cost Bartman. them the World Series. Like, um, and then they <laughs> didn't win a World Series for 101 years, was it? Like, that's too funny, man. That was I during mean, their, their run of not winning World Series. But yeah, the, like, it surprised me how that guy's like hasn't been killed. Yeah, I mean it's harsh to say, but really, Cubs like love baseball. Cubs fans love baseball, and they got some passionate fans in Chicago. It's, it's a little overlooked, but I mean in Wrigley, that place is crazy. Um, the fact that that guy's not dead uh, it shocks me every day. I'm shocked too. I mean, I thought I didn't even. I was shocked he even made it out of Wrigley alive. And then I remember we look. I would look back on that clip and I'd be like, was it really his fault? I mean, there was about 10 other fans going for that ball. He just happened to be right in the middle. <laughs> like any fan could have been – that could have been any of them. And if he was just, in Philly, he would have been dead. <laughs> oh, Philly, yeah. He, somebody would have 
somebody would have jumped in. And then that would have led to some other. Philly fans are different. That's a whole different conversation, though. <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies and just any Philly fans, even Flyers fans, Sixers fans. Eagles. Dude, Eagles fans threw rocks at Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an Eagles fan. I can, I can, I, I can speak for all of us. Uh, even though I'm not from there, uh, yeah, Philly is a crazy area for sports, but it's because like the plaza where the stadiums are, you have the Flyers rink, the uh, the Phillies baseball field, and the Eagles stadium all within like walking distance of each other, and that. And then they just exiled the 76ers. <laughs> Do they play at the Phillies rink where like like they transition? Yeah. Oh, I have I have no idea. I'd say more than likely. Yeah, they play at Wells Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we'll move on here. We talked about this topic a little bit in um in our spring training preseason uh, episode, but so far, in we're one month into the season, there have been two no hitters: Joe Musgrove and Carlos Rodon. Through no no hitters, pretty impressive. I mean, we also have Madison Bumgarner, but I guess for some reason, whatever he doesn't count. They dejuiced the balls this year. We talked about that. Not a lot of us were fans of it. What do, what are you guys thinking? I I don't know much of a difference it's made to be honest. I think there's just some really good pitching in baseball nowadays. I mean, the strikeout numbers like the, a juice ball has no effect on a strikeout. If guys are striking out, that's because of them not making contact. Um, I mean, we talked about it again. Shane Bieber has 57 strikeouts in 36 innings. Burns has 49 and 29 and a third. DeGrom has 50 and 29. Chapman has 17 strikeouts in seven innings. There's a lot of strikeouts this year. There's a lot of guys that are power hitters in these everyday lineups that are, that are, are literally boom or bust. Um, and I don't think the home run numbers are like, are really down. I mean, we're kind of just looking at this because it's the first 20 games of the season. Like we're, we're, we still have six times as many games to go. I mean, more than that, sorry. Uh, what, we have seven times that, eight times that to go? Just about uh, eight. I, yeah, I'm not good at math. But, um, yeah, I mean, guys are still hitting home runs. I mean, there's like three guys tied for first in the majors with seven home runs in 20 games. That's not bad at all. That's like, what, once every four games you're hitting a home run? Actually, I think our leader is at eight now. Leader, leader's at eight. For you, though. Because I, I know Otani and JD both have seven. There's a lot of guys with five and six. Trout has seven. I know that. Reese has eight. Yes, that's who it was. I was looking up that before the podcast. And there's a bunch of guys with seven, a lot. You got even oh, guys yeah. like, well, Nick Castellanos isn't that surprising. Ryan McMahon has seven. You guys, guys like Eduardo Escobar who have seven. Wilson Contreras. All of these guys at seven. And then a bunch of guys at six, too. So. We're going to see a lot of guys reaching double digits and home runs within the next couple of days. I don't like, like Dalton said, I fully agree. I don't really think I see much of an offensive impact. I think offense has been, obviously it's been at a rise. I mean, there was a couple of years over the past few years, I think from like 2017 and 19, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the all time, like the all around season home runs hit by every team combined. Yes, I think that was a new record that was being broken every consecutive year. Every year there was a new, and I think that even like the individual record setter, I think the Yankees hold the all-time record for a single season. I think it was twins, those 20, twins, 2019. Oh, it was the Twins. I twins thought they passed the Twins. Yeah, but no, even, the Twins beat the Yankees. Right, other way around, got it. But still, that's a lot. Like I think they eclipsed the 300 mark by quite a they bit. They did with like 320 something, I think. That's ridiculous. I remember the Blue Jays from 2019 
when they were, or not 2019, excuse me, 2015, when that, that team, which was a crazy offensive team, I I don't even know if they even, they, they had like about probably 240 home runs, something like that, if anybody could even pull that up. And at the time, that was considered nuts. And now 240, while that is still a lot, and you'd be in the that's top the half. League. <laughs> <laughs> literally, like, that's like. Okay, sorry, sorry. Go no, on, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, that's just considered a whatever number now like we when you have got when you have teams hitting 290 plus home runs that seems like a whole generation ago or something like that like it's nuts just how much the game the game has evolved offensively in such a short amount of time so i don't think juice the the D juice boss have really been doing much at all this year honestly i think baseball has been just as fun to watch i think it's getting better with and i think the better pitching is just making things better i don't know why you wouldn't love watching guys like Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom just dipped 99, 100 pass, like some of the best hitters from time to time. That is fantastic stuff to watch. I mean, we go out there to watch the competition, and I think both the offensive side and the pitching side has just been lights out. Okay, but we got to take a look at this guy. So Pablo Sandoval. I'm sure you guys all remember that name. He's playing in Atlanta this year. I'm talking about Pablo Sandoval in this talk. Um, He... It's no slender. It's okay. We're going for it. So he currently has played in 16 games, 17 at-bats, five hits, but three of them, yeah, three are home runs. Legend, man. Legend. Dude's mashing a ball out of the park one in every six attempts. Where was that? Come on. Where was that for the Red Sox, man? (laughs) Couldn't get I don't the know, the, the, the panda mucked some bamboo, and now he's just vibing in Atlanta. What, what more do you want from the guy? I want his money back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, you didn't do what we said. Can I get a refund on that contract, please? He, he was part of that class that the Red Sox brought in of Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, and Pablo Sandoval, who they all gave like $20 million, which back then was like, few, like probably five, six years ago, was a lot of money for a guy. None of them did anything, and we're still paying them. We're still paying Manny Ramirez. Those are some legendary names, too. Manny, Manny Ramirez, Ramirez is legend. Oh, man. man. That is just – wow. Just ridiculous. Absolutely Okay. Ridiculous. We're nearing our, our hour point here so far at the podcast. I'm not too sure how much editing I'm going to do. So, But we've been recording for about an hour here. So – we're going to wrap it up a little bit with some Blue Jays talk as we, most of us are Toronto fans. Sorry, Dalton. I know this is going to be your favorite portion, but I hope you can chime in. I can still talk crap about it if I want to, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. You're going to be a little uh, out in left field, pardon the pun, but yes, go for it. Um, so injuries, we still have yet to see our big signing, George Springer, play a game and we're almost a month into the season. Does this worry you guys at all? No, at this point, no. Maybe two weeks ago it would have. But, I mean, I was hoping that today we would be able to see George Springer tonight against Washington, especially going against Max Scherzer. Obviously, about an hour ago, right before we started recording, actually, I got the news that he wasn't going to be coming back yet. So, is there really a timetable that I saw? No. Hopefully, he's able to come join us against our series against the Braves later this week. But at this point, we're just anticipating him coming soon. I don't know if I'm really concerned. George Springer, I mean, he was definitely the first domino to follow after Kirby Yates, of course. But, like, ever since then, it's been a medley of problems. I mean, you've had guys like Jordan Romano go down. Jerry Mer- or Julian Merriweather went down. 
guys like Teoscar Hernandez, I know his was a whole COVID incident, so it's not necessarily a traditional injury, but all these guys going down, we're still 10 and 11. Could have been a lot worse, and the pitching has been holding us down, but I don't know. It's definitely just seems like stuff with the beginning of the year. Maybe, I'm not sure they definitely had the time to train and to be fit and get in shape and stay in shape over the course of the offseason, but I wouldn't say I'm necessarily worried, but I don't know about you guys, if you guys have any different opinions on this. I'm personally fine with it so far. I mean, you have, you've had so many injuries so far, it's hard to kind of deal with everything. I mean, even we had that scare uh, in the Rays series with Ryu, which honestly, I think every Jays fan saw that and was panicking uh, because you, you never knew what that, uh, it sounds like he's going to be able to make his next start though, and everything's fine. It was just precautionary, but um, like the bullpen has been as sound as we thought it was going to be, despite injuries it's been next man up mentality they've been they lead the league in era right now out of the pen uh they're up there uh, overall in era like their, their starters have been good steven Matz uh has been absolutely ridiculous to start the year Ryu's doing his thing robbie ray hasn't been getting the run support but he's at least been decent and uh to start the year so i think pitching i mean we're probably gonna have to look towards either unless nate pearson um really really shows his full potential this year which would be tough to give in a second uh, first full year as a pitcher uh i think uh it's gonna be probably looking at a jays getting looking to get somebody uh, down the line for starting pitching pitching wise but i mean you have so much confidence in the bullpen right now um that i mean they're they're getting us by and i think we're keeping afloat we're just hovering around 500 for now um no need to panic yet we're getting guys back up injury springer's soon teoscar's coming back soon we had bullpen bullpen kind of get shaken up there a bit but it's back i think it's just kind of staying the course until you can get the full full arsenal back in the lineup and you can just let guys do their thing and go off and i think while it hasn't been the greatest start to the season that the jays fans uh, jays fans might have wanted i think it's only uh, only getting started, obviously, still a young season, and I think there's a lot of potential still uh, once we get some guys back from injuries. And I think that's also a credit to Pete Walker, uh, the pitching coach for the Jays, just how well he's been managing these pitchers and getting getting a guy like Steven Matz and really revitalizing his career. Nobody thought when the Jays made that Steven Matz trade that he'd be this good so far to start out his Jays career. And I think you got to give credit to Pete Walker and Charlie Montoyo for everything they've done to set this pitch, pitching staff up to succeed so far. And that was definitely thing that we talked about before uh, in our first podcast before spring training was what are they going to do with pitching? Um, they, they obviously lost out on Taiwan Walker. Um, who was the guy who went to the Astros? J- uh, Jake, Jake Odorizzi? Yep. Uh, they missed yep. out on him. Pitching was obviously their main concern. Happens to every team during the course of the season. It's a 162-game season. Guys get hurt. It happens. They come back. Obviously, we lose a few like Dexter Fowler towards ACL. Uh you know, not in the Blue Jays, but I mean, it happens. The guys, we, we lose guys, Tommy John. Um, it happens every season. It's like football. Guy, guy gets injured for a few games. It happens to everyone. Yeah, you can't expect everyone to be able to suit up for 162. We're at, we're at 20 games in the season so far. The AL East is still wide open, except for the Yankees. Um, and I mean, the Blue Jays are doing all of this without George Springer, who, again, was the biggest fish in the free agency pond. And he's a Blue Jay. He's making his debut soon. Um, and that'll be a whole different team. That guy can hit. He can field. He can run. I mean, that'll be a whole different team. And they can definitely make some more noise with the fact that the Orioles might not pressure them that much uh, in the latter of the season. The Rays aren't looking that great after having a, a, 
a dumpster sale for their whole entire lineup that they went to the World Series with for some reason. Um, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays can easily push for uh, top three spots. I mean, if you can get number two, you can go for a wild card, and that's a playoff appearance for you. And one thing that I do agree with is that there might not be the same kind of pressure. I mean, who knows if the Red Sox end up cooling down? I expect them to. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, I don't see being even close to being a contender at all. So that's really not a factor. I think the race, I think we should. they've taught us over the past few years to always be skeptical of them in a good way for them. I mean, definitely, I think they can be very dangerous when nobody's looking out for them. So who knows? But I don't anticipate them to finish the season over the Yankees or the Blue Jays. I think both of them really do end up bouncing back from their issues. But it's definitely interesting to see what George Springer is going to have on this team because so far the pitching has not been an issue at all, like we mentioned. Um, it has been fantastic so far. If anything, the offense is what needs a bit of a wake-up call. So if the offense can come together and have a George Springer who can do his thing that he's always known for doing and having his impactful performances, along with the emergence of Vlad Jr., if Obashek can get his stuff together, if Kevin, if Kevin Biggio can start hitting really well, and if the pitching staff can at least mostly keep up what we've been doing, I think this team can be really dangerous. But it's a matter of what the bats do. It's a matter of what George Springer adds to this team. I'm fully expecting a lot from him, but it's definitely interesting to see what he's going to be able to do once the team, once he comes back to the team. Yeah, I think this Blue Jays team this year is super interesting, especially on the offensive side, because they should have one of the highest offensive productions in the league when you think about it, especially when we're going to get Springer into the lineup. We're going to have guys starting off like Marcus Semyon right through to Randall Gritchick all the way through one to eight. And all of those guys can mash the baseball like nobody like nobody else in the league. Like they've all proven their hitting ability. And then you're just going to drop the either Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk, who isn't the greatest hitter. Oh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. card incoming. Nice. Yeah, one. I found my rookie card. I've been looking for him because we've been, we've been talking about him. I was looking for him there. So anyways, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, 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 no worries. Uh, but yeah, the, the offensive output that this team should be, have, should be having is next to none. It was really the pitching that we were questionable about, but we've been getting really good pitching. Ryu, Matt, even Merriweather coming in on opening day and shutting out that heart of the Yankees lineup with Judge Sanchez and all these big power hitters and just saying, sorry, you're done. Oh, we're pulling up another, looks like another rookie Vladi card. A numbered rookie Vladi card. A numbered rookie Vladi card. I got a few Boba Shets. That's not as good, but I don't have a numbered Vladi yet, Darren. I don't have any baseball cards unless they're from the 1970s. So you guys all got me beat. Absolutely none. That is something I should pick up. Absolutely. Just get into baseball cards. That would go. Look at that. Look at that collection. You oh, got he's, he's just chucking up all of his big ones right now. <laughs> Chipper Jones. That. Oh, that's got to be worth a lot. Hey, that Vladdy one, that stock is going to go up in oh, yeah. three oh, years. Oh, it's going to go way, way up. The next three seasons? Yeah. It's going to be crazy. But, yeah, I'm not really worried about the injuries because once they get Springer back in, the output I've, – I've said this multiple times already, but the output that this team is going to have, being able to take pressure off guys like Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, Vladdy, Bichette, Biggio, Semyon, getting that extra big bat into the lineup, probably slotting in around the two spot is where I would put Springer. He's a good contact, good power hitter. He can really do it all. He's fast. He can get on base. But, yeah, they're just going to have such a – versatile lineup that really anybody's going to be able to play anywhere in that lineup and have an impact. I'm really excited to see it, but yeah, the pitching has been holding it down actually really well. I've been super shocked, especially since 
Nate Pearson hasn't really been doing Nate Pearson things. He's not going up to his entire potential. Okay, we're still on the baseball. Oh, Nate Pearson. I just said his name. What do we know? Um, <laughs> I found it as soon as you said that. So I had I had to bring up my number one prospect card of him. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what this Blue Jays team can do. And I'm I have a feeling that sometime in the next month, month and a half, we're going to see a trade for a starting pitcher coming into the Blue Jays rotation. That's really just going to help us solidify it even more. I think the biggest concern I think any Blue Jays fan should be having right now, I know the off- the offenses look quite underwhelming. I think it's going to be picking it up. I don't think we ha- we're going to have guys like Vigio hitting under 200 the entire time. And I know batting average isn't like the main stat to go for. I know he's an option. Danny Jets is not going to bat under buck 50, or oh, not God. even a buck 50, batting under 50 or something like that right now. Oh, my gosh. Any cost we're concerned if you're hitting under the Mendoza line, especially the way Danny Jansen has been hitting. Oh gosh. But like, but I think that's going to, I don't think that's something that should be expected to carry over the whole season. I think my real concern might be the defensive side. We've seen a lot of errors coming from guys like Bo Bichette, a lot of concern whether Kevin Biggio can hold it down at third. I personally don't know if he can. I don't think he can. I think he's just meant to be at second base. I think it's like, he definitely has some utility out out in the outfield. But I just don't know. Joe Panic. don't even like, – he's been fantastic as a defender at Tekken, but I don't see – we don't have a third baseman who's defensively capable right now. I don't think so on a consistent basis. I don't think we're going to see that until either we make a trade, which I don't think is necessary. So we're going to have to wait till guys like Jordan Groshan start coming up and start getting some action because I don't think any of Biggio and Bichette really hold it down there. They definitely have a place on the team. They – they're some of the most important pieces on this team, but at third base specifically, I think we're a little bit thin. What do you guys think? I don't know. We Austin just got to chuck Alejandro Kirk out there. He's a brick wall dude. He's going to stop True. everything that comes at him. That, that's Man, all Kirk. I have to say. That's it. Alejandro Kirk. Kirk is a problem, is the solution to Kirk. all of our problems. Kirk. We can put Kirk and we can also put Vladdy together and we can have two second basemen and just abandon a first baseman and just have the pitcher cover really fast. Kirk's starting, starting pitcher though. So like, how does that work? <laughs> Kirk will be pitching and playing second. How does that make any sense? <laughs> He's a super utility. Super utility. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. We're going to have two, two DHs. We're adding an extra. <laughs> Both of them are Alejandro Kirk. <laughs> what happens when Alejandro Kirk hits and he's followed by Alejandro Kirk, but the first Alejandro Kirk gets on second base? He's playing with Danny Jansen. They're about as fast. Is it possible, is it possible that, that George Springer hasn't come back yet because he's learning how to play third base? Maybe, maybe we're seeing George Springer trying to take on a new position, be one of the elite three third baseman in the league up there with Arenado and Chapman. Who knows? I guess we're going to have to see down the road, but that is all we're going to have time for today. Unless you guys have any other points you want to mention on real quick before we do this outro. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say other than, oh, I was going to mention my AL pick that I know I got interrupted for because of my terrible technical issues midway through when I was trying to see my AL player of the month. I'm going to get that out there right now before I forget. Mike Trout, I know he's the boring pick. He's the best player in the world. That hasn't changed for years now. It's a boring pick, like I said, but dude is have, dude has an OPS over 1,300, I believe, and he has yeah. a weighted runs created plus of 274. So, he went four for four last night, too. No big deal. Like, it, it's just insane how good this guy is, and just he's going to keep doing this. I mean – they, the Angels need to do something to help this guy get to the postseason again because he does not deserve what he's been getting. Bring him to Philly. Not, no, don't bring him to Philly. Please, no. That's where ball players go to die. He's from Philly. He loves it there. Him and Bryce in that outfield. 
Well, yeah, but then no, thank you. You have the best center fielder in the in the world. You have the best ball player in the world in your center field, and you have the most overrated right fielder in the game. I don't know. Judge position. might be there too. Judge might be uh, there no, too. No, 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 no. It's Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, Harper has looked is good. He has looked good, but I kind of agree with Kaven. But he has looked good. I will give him his credit this year. Judge is what like Judge is what like six foot six and can't make a, a jumping play at the wall in that short porch in right field Yankee Stadium. He's got a DH. He can't that hit happens. a ball below his below his chest. He can't hit a ball. So like. <laughs> Hey, I mean, we also saw Trent Grisham miss that baseball that was on the ground that everybody in the world should have made. But, true, you know, things happen. But anyways, guys, that has been this episode of the Extra Innings Podcast powered by the Intermission Sports. Check out all of our articles and our other podcasts at theintermissionsports.ca.com. We have a lot of articles coming up. We'll have our power rankings coming out soon by Thomas Gotsmani. I hope I said his last name right. If I didn't, I'm sorry, Thomas. You're supposed to be on here, so you could have corrected me, but hey, whatever. Anyways, guys, we'll catch you later.